The first scripture reading this morning is Acts 8, 1 through 5, and 14 through 17. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. 14 through 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. The second scripture reading is Ephesians 1. 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. The theme of the book of Acts is given when Jesus tells his first disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's why the sermon series is called Witness. The church is Christ's witness. But as we've read in Acts, with the killing of Stephen, who was the first one to pay the price for his faith with his life, and now a massive persecution that's broken out against the church, what's going to happen? A young leader on the Sanhedrin named Saul's going after people, going from house to house, finding those who he knows are followers of Christ, and he's dragging families off to prison and forcing them and forcing many, many people to leave Jerusalem. And it looks like the witness of the church will be shut down. Uh, it's too dangerous. It is too costly. It is, is just too hard. And the church is forced to scatter. They leave Jerusalem by the droves. And well, we might expect the book of Acts to end right there. And we might expect the Christian story to stop right there. That's it. But it didn't. It says that those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. They flee for their lives, but they don't stop witnessing to what they've seen and heard and known in Jesus Christ. Think about it. Acts chapter 8 is not the end of the Bible. How did that happen? Nor does a small movement centered around a man named Jesus just get sent into oblivion. The witness scatters but it spreads. And when we began this series some weeks back, I shared some words uh, written by a man named George Weigel. He's a distinguished senior fellow at 
the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., and this was an article in the Wall Street Journal entitled The Easter Effect, and he raised this the question, how did it happen that a ragtag bunch of nobodies from the far edges of the Mediterranean world become such a dominant force in two and a half centuries? And whatever explanation someone might have, you have to say the early Christians were marked with joy, and I would add power, even as they were being marched off to execution or into prisons. I mean, what was their problem? Were they delusional? Were they in denial? Perhaps it was the joy of a people who had become convinced that they were witnesses to something that was inexplicable but nonetheless true, something that gave a super abundance of meaning to life and that erased the fear of death something that had to be shared, something that they believe had changed the world. Here's the thing. Paul's plans to rip the church to shreds only spreads what he didn't want to continue. Remember, Jesus told his disciples they would end up being witnesses, not just here in Jerusalem, but then they'd be going to Judea, going to Samaria. Well, no one had plans to do that. But you know what? What happened in Jerusalem with Stephen being killed and then others, and it forced the believers to those places. It wasn't fun, but it took the gospel to places no one ever thought that they would go. Jesus has places for us to go. And he may get us there in some hard and difficult ways, but hold on because he's still in control and the evil that humans do will not stop the gospel. Jesus shows up in closed countries. He shows up in prisons. He shows up in rehab centers. He shows up in hospitals. He shows up in back alleys and places where no one would expect the gospel to be welcome. God turns the evil in on itself. And what Saul meant for death, God will use for life out of the great mourning that everyone felt in Jerusalem for Stephen. And it says, they wailed with loud lamentation. That's the way it's written. They wailed with loud lamentation. And through the persecution, God is still moving. Still moving. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Well, how about that? Underline that word, wherever. No place was off limits. No place is off limits living rooms and conference rooms, airplanes and hotels, locker rooms and coffee houses, school corridors and bars. We take the word wherever and we speak the word wherever and whenever the opportunity is opened. That the mission spread to Samaria, that is particularly important. We read that one of the disciples named Philip goes to Samaria and he shares Jesus. Now, Samaria was hostile territory. Jews and Samaritans had been enemies for years. Enemies. Remember when Jesus approaches that Samaritan woman at the well? And she points out, now wait, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, so why are you asking me for a drink? And John, who wrote the story, adds this note, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. He does that by way of explanation for the uninformed. 
One of the things that Jesus was called by those who opposed him, they said to him, you're a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed. The ultimate in name-calling and smear campaign. And even Jesus understood the social and the um, cultural and the spiritual issues surrounding Samaritans. When he sent out those first 12, he told them, do not go to any of the towns of the Samaritans at that time. He said, we don't go there. But after he came alive, Jesus said that they would be his witnesses even in Samaria because God loves the whole world. So Philip goes there. And Philip is a major player in the eighth chapter of Acts, by the way, and then he kind of disappears. The people heard what he preached. They saw the signs and the wonders that Philip did, and many came to believe. We read, even a man who had been a sorcerer and practicing dark arts and magic was amazed and came to believe. Well, back in Jerusalem at the mothership, where the apostles have stayed, they hear that the word of God has been accepted in Samaria. And it was so unthinkable that Samaritans would accept the word of God that they send Peter and John to go see about this. And we read, when they arrived, Peter and John, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of the Samaritans. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This passage has raised a lot of questions and uh, been a matter of discussion for Christians for a long time. Because how does one believe in, the Holy Sp in Jesus Christ as Lord and not have the Holy Spirit? Didn't Jesus say, when you baptize people, you baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? I mean, it's the whole deal. And doesn't Paul write that we were all baptized in one spirit into one body and we were all made to drink of the one spirit? Can someone be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit? Some Christians of a more Pentecostal or charismatic flavor have said, well, this means that the gift of the Holy Spirit is it's a separate reality and that every Christian has to kind of have this second blessing, if you would. They would say that to believe in Christ doesn't guarantee the fullness of the Spirit. And they might even say that you have to pray and receive this and have a certain experience. And it could certainly appear that way, given this story alone. But whenever we read Scripture, we have to look at all of Scripture in the larger context. And if we read the rest of Scripture what it says about faith, what it says about receiving the Spirit, I think most Christians would hold to a different view. But how to make sense of this? It seems that this may have been a special and unique situation. There's nothing to suggest Philip's presentation of the gospel was misunderstood or that it was wrong. That's not a problem. There's nothing to suggest that the Samaritans didn't believe in the right way. Apparently they did. But it I'm going to say that the reason that the apostles come to Samaria was that it was so incredible that the Samaritans would now be believers in Jesus Christ that the apostles needed to see for themselves. And it took Peter and it took John to confirm that the Samaritans should be counted now fully as Christians. This was a unique historical situation 
kind of a one-time thing, where the Lord, in his larger plan, wanted to give the full power of the Holy Spirit, waited to give it until some of the apostles could be present. And then there would be no question at all that the Samaritans, they had indeed received the Spirit, just as the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem had. And it would confirm that the Samaritans should be counted as full members of the church. And despite the long history of hostility and fighting, Samaritans and Jews were now part of one body. Again, a very debatable passage, but that's the explanation I give you today. The text does suggest this, that there is some visible sign of receiving the Holy Spirit. And that holds. We find this in other places in Acts as well. The way the Spirit shows himself in believers happens in different ways for different people. It is wrong to say that the Holy Spirit is all about experience and feeling. It is also wrong to say that having him does not include experience and feeling. But let's get back to the big picture. The witness is forced to scatter out of Jerusalem because it is now being savagely attacked. No one would want this. No one planned for that. But God will not be stopped. The scattering leads to the Samaritan mission, you know, which is really the first spread of the first important advance and spread of the gospel in Christianity. First time a mission has been undertaken. And today's passage shows how the Holy Spirit can break through barriers and break through boundaries never before imagined because the Holy Spirit is the power of Christian mission. At Pentecost, remember, the Spirit forced the disciples out into the streets. Later, he fills the apostles with boldness, and now he directs Philip where to go and what to say. You know, we've seen a lot of terrible violence surrounding two places this week, Jerusalem and Gaza. Well, 2,000 years ago, Philip was directed to go right there, right there by the Lord. Travel that road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. You can read it in Acts chapter 8. And on that road, he sees an Ethiopian official who works for the Ethiopian queen. And the official is in his chariot, and he's coming back from Jerusalem where he's been worshiping. And He is seated in his chariot, and he is reading parts of the book of Isaiah, apparently out loud. And we read, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, directs Philip to go to that chariot and join it. And he tells Philip, stay near the chariot. Stay near it. It leads to a conversation, which leads Philip to have the opportunity to explain that part of the Bible that the Ethiopian official is reading, which leads to to the official understanding who Christ is, which leads to him being baptized. You can read about it in Acts right there. This took place in the very same area where we are reading about in our headlines this week. And while arrogant governments and ungoverned terrorist groups picket one another, taking a lot of innocent people with them, causing tremendous violence, death, chaos, I'm willing to bet that there are people of the Lord Jesus Christ who are witnessing to his love and to his mercy and to his grace and are working to end hostilities in that same Jerusalem to Gaza corridor. 
I have seen and I have been with Christians there in those areas, and though they are very small and they are heavily persecuted, they stand strong. And by the way, speaking of Philip, if you, if you like Philip, ever get a nudge to stay near or come alongside someone, you just feel like you're being moved that way. That may well be the Holy Spirit guiding you to an opportunity he is arranging for you to speak and to share Christ with someone. Pay attention to it. And if our church, if this church, if any church, but if our church is going to ever be a force for Christ, as we are a force for Christ, if our children and our youth are ever going to have hearts for Jesus, if we are going to go to places where the name of Jesus needs to be spoken and needs to be lived, if we are going to see people become as passionate followers, it will happen because of the Holy Spirit. We need him in all aspects of our lives in church. Today is Pentecost. The Christian church celebrates the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the reason for the power of the Christian witness in Acts is because of that spirit. And perhaps the Holy Spirit of God is somewhat of a mystery or is unknown to you. Maybe, maybe you've been taught that you have to get caught up in some kind of extreme behavior to have proof of the Spirit in your life. And that's been scary. And maybe you resist to give God full control of your life. Or maybe you fear being too emotional or that the experience of the Spirit will force you to do things you don't want to do. Or maybe you've seen so much controversy surrounding the Holy Spirit that you fear the unknown and you're reluctant to really open yourself to something that just seems so controversial. Unfortunately, some have made the Holy Spirit into a controversy, when in reality, He's a spirit of order and unity and guidance. The Holy Spirit is simply an accessible and present part of God meant not to bring fear, but to bring comfort and help. And He is also essential. Catherine Marshall, before she died, wrote these words. She said, for years, sometimes a lifetime, a Christian can keep the spirit at a sub-basement level by insistence on running our own life. And then we consciously recognize this divine guest's presence and we open the hitherto closed doors into certain rooms in his being so that the spirit can enter there too. And she quotes Hannah Whitehall-Smith, who says that when the Spirit influences every part of us, the real evidence is neither emotion nor any single particular gift like tongues, but the real evidence of the Holy Spirit is a Christ-likeness in life and character. By fruits in the life of a person, we shall know whether or not we have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit doesn't belong to any one church or tradition. He is the possession of every believer. And when we hear the message of truth and we respond to the gospel by believing it, we are marked with Christ and the seal of the inward Holy Spirit. He is an inward reality who shows himself in very outward ways. And the question is not how much do you or I have of the Spirit. The question is how much does the Spirit have of us? Because he is one who empowers us. The Holy Spirit comforts. 
He guides. He teaches. He convicts. He helps us pray. He gives us discernment, and he moves us more and more into Christ. And the evidence of his influence in our lives and in our churches will be in our witness to Christ and how we serve others, in how we speak the message and share the message of the Lord. And it's going to be in how we bear adversity. Because that was the witness of the first church in Acts. No, the witness doesn't end with Acts chapter 8. We got 20 more chapters. It's just starting to really get going. Let's pray. Would you come upon us once again, Holy Spirit, and renew the fervor, renew the faith of those first disciples in our midst. Give us a strength that will not be stopped by adversity. May what is dead and slow become full of life. May the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted in our hearts and minds. May people come to Him more and more. May our lives be open to You more and more. Come once again upon us. Holy Spirit. Amen.